Hello and welcome to Worship from Schweitzer. I'm Pastor Jason. So glad you've joined us today for this moment of worship. Uh, if you're new worshiping with us for the first time, we would love to send you a gift card from Starbucks. Uh, just let us know that you're here and how we could send that to you. Be happy to do it. Today we're starting a new sermon series on the book of Revelation. We're going to be diving in deep to the seven churches and then to the rest of the book um, through, those, through those seven churches that John names in chapters two and three. So glad you're here. So glad we can take this journey. If you'd like to grow deeper with it, we'd encourage you to take a moment. Go to Schweitzer.church next. You'll find sermon discussion questions. You'll find a number of ways you can connect and you can grow deeper in your faith through Schweitzer. Next up is Stephanie, and she's going to share with us all kinds of ways that we can dive in, connect today through Schweitzer. Let's take a listen. Hi, welcome to Schweitzer. I'm Stephanie. Fall is an active time here at Schweitzer, and there are many ways for you to get connected and dive deeper into God's Word through a small group or by joining one of our new classes. We'd like to take just a few minutes to highlight four of those classes, beginning tonight with a study of James at five o'clock. Then on Tuesday night, we're kicking off a book study called The Questions That God Asks Us. On Wednesday morning, you can learn more about the Bible as a complete story. And on Wednesday evening, you can deepen your understanding of cross-cultural relationships and missions. So many great options. You can learn more today in the Fellowship Center or by checking out schweitzer.church. In addition to these classes, today at 2.30, we're beginning our Grief Share group. Grief Share is a place for anyone who is grieving someone who has passed away. At Grief Share, you'll find a community of people who understand, as well as tools to help you along the way. Join us today or any Sunday this fall. You can sign up today at the Blue Booth or by checking out schweitzer.church groups. In just a few weeks on September 30th and October 1st, we're hosting our women's retreat. We're calling this a hometown retreat because you don't have to leave Springfield. We'll start on Friday evening at Nathaniel Green Park and spend the day Saturday here on campus. This is a great opportunity to invite friends and enjoy time together as ladies, learning more about the goodness and beauty of God. You can sign up today at the Blue Booth, or you can find out more details at schweitzer.church women. One more thing, coming up next week on September 18th, we're having New Members Sunday. If you or someone you know is interested in becoming a member, let one of our pastors know this week. We are so glad you chose to be here today. Let's continue with worship. Thanks, Stephanie. If you're worshiping with us live, we'd encourage you to take a moment, say hello to those who are in the chat, wave, text a little note, whatever you'd like to do. And then if you would like prayer, there's somebody who's always in the prayer room, happy to pray with you. If you're not worshiping with us live, you're missing it. Nah, just kidding. We're glad you're here. No matter when you come, we're glad you're here. So let's enter into worship and let's rejoice at what God is doing in us, what he's doing through the church, what he's doing all around us in the world. Let us lift up our hearts with gladness and joy for Jesus loves the world and he loves you and he loves me. Let's worship together.
Friends, as we gather today in prayer, I invite you to pray along with me. We've got a prayer written for especially this day, September 11th, and then we'll, we'll conclude our prayers with the Lord's Prayer. I invite you to pray along with me this prayer today and your prayers that you have. Let's pray together. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We lift our voices in worship today, kind Father, to join with the saints and the angels in praising you. In thankfulness, we come before you in prayer. Today also, we remember a day that marked this nation and our lives, 11 September 2001. We especially pray for those who bear the weight of grief that enveloped this generation. We're thankful that you have not left us as a desolate people, but you have called us to employ your gifts of compassion and courage, repentance and reconciliation, justice and joy. We pray afresh for our nation this day. Our hearts are anxious. Our devotions mixed with idolatry and justice. Our souls hunger for truth in a land of half-right prophets. Our conversations have lost civility. Forgive us for our wandering hearts, for setting aside your gifts of grace, for seeking power and place instead of being a people of blessing. Remind us of our confession of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. And stir up our hearts with the love of Christ. Now would you pray with me the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, we want to we say a special word of thanks for your generosity in the acts of giving 
um, being faithful to the Lord and giving through Schweitzer Church. You've been generous throughout this entire year and you continue to be generous. So thank you. And thanks for your continued giving, which makes all kinds of ministry happen. You can always give through um, going to schweitzer.church/give, or you can go and use the church app. Next up is Kenny Bozier. A few weeks ago, we saw Kenny in a, in a video about baptisms. We recorded Kenny's witness and uh, because we're so impressed by the power of God at work in Kenny's life. We'd love for you to hear Kenny's story now. Hi, my name is Kenny Bozier. Um, I grew up in South Texas most of my life. Uh, my dad was in the oil field, so uh, we moved around a lot. I actually tried to, to go to church a few times when I was younger, but it just was not a very good experience for me, so I kind of strayed away from that. Um, I continued to get in trouble through my teenage years and actually was lucky enough to get through high school and graduate. And then the trouble got a little bit worse and came in contact with a, a judge because of some of my behaviors. He basically gave me an option of going in the military or spending some time um, in the county jail. So through some prodding and poking, I joined the military. I did 22 years in the military in the United States Army Infantry Corps. Um, and that led me to three tours in Iraq. Um, I did three combat tours. I was there for the invasion and then two tours later on. And unfortunately, through my combat tours, I've encountered a lot of loss, lost a lot of soldiers, a lot of friends. And um, that led me to the crippling situation of um, suffering from severe PTSD. And that PTSD was more from of the guilt that I was feeling inside of me because of the loss of putting soldiers where they were at when they lost their lives. I sought out counseling. I've seen several psychologists and psychiatrists and um, because of just my way, they for some reason couldn't reach me. I felt like I needed someone who had walked a mile in my shoes to understand what I was going through. So I kept avoiding the help and avoiding the help. And um, after my divorce, um, which was mostly my fault and PTSD, I was sitting on my back porch um, a little over about a year and a half ago. And I was probably at the lowest point in my life. And I, I knew that I had to somehow work out my issues with, uh, with PTSD. I remembered back to when my, my mother prodded me to go to church when I was younger. And I said, well, I, the only choice I have left is the Lord. So I sat on my back porch and I cried and I prayed to the Lord that if you're there, please help me. This is all I have left. Um, and as cliche as it may sound, I felt something come over me. I felt a presence and I also felt a burden completely come off of my shoulders. Um, and I knew that I had to start this journey. Um, so I decided because of a, a good friend to come to Schweitzer. So I've, I've been going here for six or seven months and I've been listening. Um, I've been studying, I've been watching, and I knew that my next step was to give my, my life to the Lord, to 
to say, this is all for you. Everything I will do from this point forward will be in your name. Um, and when Pastor Jason mentioned the river baptism a few weeks back, the Lord spoke to me again and said, this is the time. I was blessed with, with getting baptized, um, probably the proudest moment of my life. And um, it's, it's just changed who I am. From this point forward, I want to continue to study. I want to learn. I want to go to Bible studies. I've trained over 20, 22,000 soldiers in the military, and I would love to use this. And if I can reach some of those soldiers who suffered what I suffered, or anyone at all, um, I know the Lord has touched me and reached me so I can get the, the word out to other people. So um, I'm a very, very blessed person. Friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad that you're here with us. And thank you to Kenny for sharing your story with us. It's so encouraging to hear how God is at work in people's life in this season of our church as we see the Lord changing people's lives. It's so, so encouraging. Thank you, Kenny. Uh, today, we're going to be starting a new series. I'm really excited about this. For the next seven weeks, we're going to be studying the most interesting book in the Bible. And we're going to be in the last book. We're going to be in Revelation. And so this series is going to be a little bit different than normal for a few different reasons. Um, one, just simply Revelation is just different. I mean, this can be a different kind of series because we're going to be talking about different kinds of things. I mean, Revelation is full of a, there's a dragon and a seven-headed beast, and there's a mark of the beast, there's Armageddon, there's the new heaven, the new earth. There's all this kind of strange stuff in Revelation. And it can be scary and intimidating and, and, and confusing as you walk your way through this. And so this series is going to be different simply because of that. There's just different kinds of things. And then this series is also going to be a little bit different than maybe what you'd expect because we're going to be looking at Revelation in maybe a way that you haven't heard before. I've had several people over the last few weeks uh, come up to me and be like, I, I'm interested in what you're going to say about Revelation. And first of all, I was excited that people are just paying attention of what's coming next. But, but, but then a lot of times the, the follow-up to that sentence is, um, because I've heard Revelation preached a lot, Usually, like in my growing up years, man, they, they, they really hounded Revelation. And so, and so there's a way that we kind of think about this book that, that is probably a little bit different than, than how I'm going to be talking about this over the next seven weeks. Because what I've, what I've found is that in Revelation, what a lot of people do is they're gravitated towards all the weird stuff that's in the book. And for good reason. I mean, there's a lot of strange stuff that's in this book. And so a lot of people really start focusing in on Revelation on starting in chapter four. Chapter four is this vision of heaven. It's, it gets really strange. And from chapter four to 22, there's just a lot of weird, weird stuff. And so a lot of people get focused on that and they miss the first three chapters of the book. And what I found is that when you really focus in on the first three chapters, the rest of the book begins to make so much more sense. And you find that this book that can be confusing and scary and intimidating is actually incredibly encouraging. And so what we're going to do in this book is we're going to focus our attention on these first few chapters to help us understand everything that's coming next. 
So let's get into this and let's start at the very beginning, not chapter four where it gets weird, but chapter one, verse one, where the book actually begins. And here's how it goes. It says, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to a servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Now listen to verse four. This is really important to understanding the whole book. Verse four is so important. Verse four says this, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. If you're reading in your own Bible, you should underline that line, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests, to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Verse eight, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, as we read through those first few verses, I I hope you got what it is that we were reading here. Because as we were reading this opening, don't get lost in the seven spirits and him who was and is and is to come and the Alpha and the Omega, that that kind of stuff. Don't get lost there. That's really important. but, But pay attention to what we just read. And what we just read, if you were paying attention, is we read the introduction to a letter. Who is it written by? It was written by John. That's in verse four. It says to us that this is this. This is John the apostle, John the disciple of Jesus, John who wrote books like John, first John, second John, third John. He wrote this as well. And, and, and this is a, this vision that he's having, but it's, a, it's an introduction to the letter. And he also told us who he was writing this letter to. Did you catch who it was? I told you to underline it. Verse four again, quote, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. That's who he's writing to. As we read through Revelation, we need to keep this in mind. We are reading a letter. We are reading a message to real people in a real place in real time. So with that in mind, let's keep reading here. Here's verse nine. It says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. In other words, he was exiled to this island. He's suffering persecution because of his, his witness, his testimony of, of Jesus. Verse 10, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll, scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. The second time we've heard about the second churches, the seven churches. So send it to the seven churches and he lists them to Ephesus, to Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. These are the seven churches. Now, these seven churches, all in the province of Asia. Today, we call the province of Asia, we call it Turkey. That's the modern day nation. And in this Roman Empire province of Asia, these seven churches existed in these seven Roman cities. Here's a map of, of where they were. They, they all interacted with one another. They were nearby neighbors of one another. They, they would have known about life. They would have had similar struggles and, and questions of, of one another. But as you, as you understand that this is written to seven churches, these seven churches in the province of Asia, modern day Turkey, what you, what you realize is that this letter that we call Revelation 
It was written to real people in a real place, in real time, with real questions and real struggles and real things that they need to be addressed. And this is the message of Revelation, is, is what is the, the good news message of hope and encouragement to them? And so what we're going to do as we walk through this series is we're going to be focusing our attention on the seven messages to these churches. That's in chapters two and three, the seven messages, individual messages from Jesus to these churches. And we're going to use those messages as a springboard to talk about some other things in the book that might be a little bit weird. I mean, we're not going to talk about all the details of this book, but we're going to go through some of these things like the mark of the beast. Next week, we're going to talk about the seven-headed uh, beast. We're going to talk about these things that, that we see in this book that, that are strange and confusing. But as you read them through the lens of the people who would have received this, what you find is that Revelation is not a book that should be scary and confusing and intimidating. It's really a book of hope and encouragement to be faithful no matter what it is you're facing. So let's get into this. We're going to read the first of these messages. This is to the church in Ephesus. And here's what Jesus says to this church. Chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus. Angel could also be translated as messenger. Write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Revelation is full of symbolism. Writing to the seven churches, you got seven stars, seven golden lampstands. Obviously, golden lampstands and stars are symbols of these churches as they all shine out into their, into their world. So write to these churches. And here's the message for Ephesus. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So what do we just learn about the church in Ephesus? Well, two things. One, that it must be really hard to be a Christian in Ephesus. I mean, pay attention to the words we read. Things like hard work. We read about uh, growing weary. Twice we read about uh, perseverance. We read about hardships. Like there must be something about life in Ephesus that's really, really difficult to be a Christian. And two, we learn that this church, this Christian community in the city, that they are not one to compromise. They don't tolerate wicked people. There's not like some big sin that needs to be addressed with these folks. There's not some, something they, they've, they've begun to tolerate maybe within the broader culture that they've brought into the church. It's not them at all. They know who they are. They know what they're about. And yet there is some correction that needs to happen for them. And so verse four says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. You've forsaken the love that you have at first. Now, there's an interesting tension there for me because on one hand, you have this church that's not morally compromised. They know who they are. They know what they're about. They're not tolerating sin. And yet on the other hand, they've, they've lost sight of what's really important with the love of God. It, it's like you have this, this church that's doing the right things, but with the wrong motives. And if you're with us this summer, we read through the Sermon on the Mount, this lengthy teaching of Jesus and Matthew. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks a lot about people who do the right things with the wrong motives. And he used a word for these people. He used it over and over in the Sermon on the Mount. If you don't remember what it was, it was this word, hypocrite. When you do the right things with the wrong motives, he says, you're, you're a hypocrite. And, and this is a, a dangerous place to be. I mean, listen to how serious this is. As Jesus says, consider how far you've fallen. Here's what he says right after that. He says, repent, change, turn around, do, do, do different things here, repent and do the things you did at first. And if you do not repent, there's a warning, listen to the warning, I will come to you 
and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And as an aside, no one alive today knows who the Nicolaitans are, but they were some sort of group in the first century, probably had false teachings. But the bigger point here is that if you do not repent, I'm going to remove your lampstand from its place. Now to consider just how dire of a warning this is, you got to think about the church in Ephesus. In the first century, the church in Ephesus was considered like the premier church. It was healthy and thriving, incredible, incredible church in an incredibly important city. Ephesus was like the big city um, in that part of the Roman Empire. Just all kinds of commerce and influence happened in Ephesus. In the second century, uh, the church fathers, which is the generation right after the apostles, they hold up Ephesus as like the model church. Like everyone should try to be like them. And so to, to have this this warning that your lampstand is going to be removed is, is like an absurd kind of thing. Like how in the world could this ever happen? It'd be like Jesus saying to all the churches in Springfield that there will be no more churches if we don't repent. Like this is the warning that's before them. And it would, it would have been an absurd kind of thing for them to even think about. Uh, Bible scholar N.T. Wright, he writes this about the modern day church in Ephesus. Wright says this, he says, the one thing you don't see today in Ephesus or in the surrounding modern towns and villages is an active church. There are, to repeat, no active churches there today. And if there are any Christians there, they are in hiding. So you have to heed the warning. The lampstand was removed. To live doing the right thing with the wrong motives is a dangerous place to be because what you're doing is you're settling for so much less than what the gospel actually is. You're not, you're not pursuing a relationship with your Father in heaven through the grace of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Instead, what you're doing is you're, you're embracing morality as the message. You're, you're, you're doing good things, religious things. You're, you're filling your life with religious busy work. And when you do that, that kind of faith doesn't get passed on to the next generation. The lampstand is nat- just naturally removed because that's not a very compelling message. And so you, you have this really dangerous thing that's happening here where they're doing the, the right things but the wrong motives and it's an incredibly dangerous, dangerous place to be. And I think about that danger that still needs to be heard today. Because I think about, I think about this. Um, have you ever known someone who uh, is like new to faith? Uh, someone who, who, you know, comes to faith, maybe later in life, especially adults who come to faith. And when they do, they are just so exciting and uh, they're, they're so fun to be around because you just have this passion that they have. Like I think about Kenny's story, just I'm learning and I'm studying and I'm trying to grow into this. And you just have this, this heart that's seeking after the Lord. And this is what you have a lot of times with people who come to faith, maybe as adults, especially as adults, and they're, they're new to this and it's exciting to them. And they're inviting their friends to come and experience it as well. And they're reading their Bibles. They're up early every morning and they're really trying to search and to seek out what God has for them. And sometimes we have a phrase for when people are living like this and we call them, we say this, that we say that they are on fire. And then every once in a while, you'll have someone who's on fire, and then you'll have uh, maybe more, I don't know, seasoned Christians who will see someone who's on fire, and, and for whatever reason, they get a little bit more cynical about that excitement that the new believer has, and so sometimes more cynical people will be like, you know, they'll, they'll cool off. They'll, they'll, they'll settle down as if, as if it's some sort of like virtue or something to aspire to, like spiritual maturity, to not be excited about Jesus. 
And so what happens is, is a lot of times that people, you know, they come to faith, they have these experiences with the Lord, but over time, they kind of start to settle for less. And, and they start to, to cool off and their hearts begin to grow cold and, and they stop having experiences with the Lord and knowing the Lord and, and, and stop encountering Him like they did when, and they, when they were new to faith. And instead, they start to kind of slide into this and they start to settle for doing good things, doing, doing right kinds of things. I mean, it's not like they have big sin in their life or, or they, they don't have like uh, secrets or addictions, but, but they're just doing the right kinds of things, but they got the wrong motives because their hearts aren't really into it, which is just an incredibly dangerous place to be. John Wesley, who founded the Methodist movement, he describes people who are like this, doing the right things, the wrong motives, with a phrase, I'm gonna quote him. He, he calls this kind of person the, quote, the almost Christian. You're doing the right things with the wrong motives, you're an almost Christian. And when you're the, doing the right things, wrong motives, you're this almost Christian. It's not like you're a bad person. You're not doing bad things. It's just you're missing out on what's really important. And so Wesley goes on and describes this. I want to read to you what an almost Christian looks like. And I'm just going to read to you just like a, a, this is a small little segment from his sermon, just to give you a taste of how he talked about this. And be warned, this was written in 1741, so it sounds like it was written in 1741. But here's how he describes being an almost Christian. He says, being almost a Christian is the having a form of godliness, right? It looks good on the outside. The having the outside of a real Christian. Accordingly, the almost Christian does nothing which the gospel forbids, right? They're not living in wild sin. That's not who they are. He taketh not the name of God in vain. He blesseth and curseth not. He sweareth not at all. He profanes not the day of the Lord, avoids all actual adultery, fornication, and uncleanness, abstaining both from uh, detraction, backbiting, tail-bearing, and evil speaking. And then he just goes on and on and on and on with more and more good things that the almost Christian does and the bad things that they, that they avoid. And he goes on and on and on like this because being an almost Christian is, is when, when you are a good person, but, but you're missing this dynamic relationship with Christ. And so opposite an almost Christian, Wesley talks about how there is the altogether Christian. That's how his words, the altogether Christian. And there is one distinguishing factor between being an almost Christian and an altogether Christian. And that is, again, I'm going to quote Wesley, one thing, ready for it? The love of God. That's it. That's the difference. It's not about the morality. It's not about the sin. It's not about um, what, what you're doing, the, the right, the religious kinds of things. It's, it's this, are you encountering and experiencing and living in the love of God? I mean, the message to the Ephesians is that, is that they've missed this. So it's not enough just to do the right things with the wrong motives because when you live like that, you are missing the actual dynamic relationship that we have with our Father in heaven. And, and this is the message to the Ephesians. And this is something that we need to hear today because it is so easy to slide into this kind of faith where you do good things. It looks good on the outside, but if you're going to be honest with yourself, you don't feel all that close to God. You don't really encounter him and experience him. And you're not growing in a relationship with him. And so what Jesus is doing is he's calling to these Ephesians. He's inviting them. No, no, no. Listen, he's like, listen, guys, you, you got to wake up. Because it's not enough just to do the right things, the wrong motives. There's more for you. And so Jesus comes back to this message to the Ephesians. 
And as he, as he speaks to them, he, he gives them a, a word of hope, a word of encouragement, which is what happens in all these seven churches. He gives them a kind of a promise that they should have. And so here's what he says to them to wrap up this thought. He says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus is like, listen, listen, listen. This is really important. And here's their promise that he gives to them to wake them up and to help them remember the love that they had at first. He says, to the one who is victorious, if you're reading from your Bibles, underline that word. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, underline that word, which is in the paradise, underline that word, of God. This is the promise that Jesus gives to them. He points them back to this direction, to these folks who have lost the love that they have at first. He speaks to them this promise that if you are victorious, if you will persevere, if you will seek after the Lord again, if you'll open your heart and your life to an encounter with Him, what you're going to find is this victorious life where you'll eat from the tree of life and the paradise of God. Now this word paradise could also be translated from the original Greek as garden. Of course, the Bible opens in a garden. It's paradise. Humans, Adam and Eve, the man and the woman, are walking with God in perfect relationship and fellowship and harmony with themselves, with God, and with the created order around them. All of these things, of course, are broken through the power of sin. But in that garden, there are two trees, one tree that gives life and one tree that condemned us. We think about how our Savior gave himself for us by being nailed to a tree. And as the Bible pictures the end of everything and the renewal of the earth and the heaven, once again, the Bible speaks of a tree. In this case, the tree of life that the Ephesians are going to be able to eat from and to, and to celebrate from in this paradise that they have. And as what, what Jesus is alluding to here is this new creation and the new earth, which is what we see presented at the very end of Revelation. After all of the battles and fighting, there is this promise of paradise. Let me read to you some of what Revelation 21 and 22 says about the promise of paradise. This is 21, verse starting verse 1. John writes, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are, listen to the word here, victorious. That's the same word he spoke to the Ephesians. To those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. Let's skip forward to chapter 22. Here's verse one. It says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, 
as clear as crystal flowing down from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, which is the promise given to the Ephesians. The tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. The tree of life is never barren. It's always giving forth its life. And the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There will not be need for the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. This is the paradise of God. This is what's promised where humans and God once again are in perfect harmony as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be. This is, this is the promise that's given to the Ephesians. And so, and so to these Ephesians who, who have lost the love that they have at first, it's no wonder that Jesus would be reminding them of what's really at stake because he's not calling them to more morality. He's not calling them to do better and work harder and try more. What he's calling them to, he's inviting them to, is to remember what's really at stake, which is the paradise of God, where there's no more crying or mourning or death or pain, where the old order of things passed away, where God and, and people will once again be in perfect relationship. This is what he's offering to them, reminding them of that this is the direction of your life, the paradise of God. Now, I think it's, it's great that when you, when you sometimes, when we think about the paradise of God, we think about heaven and what it's gonna be like, we think about how heaven is just this absolutely perfect place where you know, we're with people we love. We're doing the things we love. Our dogs are there. There's like just this perfect place for us. But as you read the Bible and you see the description of heaven according to the scripture, what you find is that the reason that heaven is a perfect place is because we are in perfect relationship with our Father in heaven. Heaven, listen, heaven is about relationship. It's about relationship that we have with the Father. And so as Jesus is extending this invitation to the Ephesians, he's inviting them to and reminding them again, the direction of your life is towards relationship with the Father. And imagine what changes for us if the vision that we have for our life, like, like the direction that our life is going, the direction that our life is about, the things that we're living for is ultimately him. Like what happens if you understand that the eternal calling of my life is to be in a perfect relationship with the Father? This is the thing that my life is about. It's not about career. It's not about achieving retirement. It's not about financial security. It's not about accomplishments or success. No, 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 no. The vision of my life is Him. It's a perfect relationship with the Father. Now, I know that we don't live in the paradise of God, not yet. But what we do in the meantime is we get ready. We press in and we understand that the vision of my life is a perfect relationship that I'm gonna have with the Father. And so even now, right now, there's all kinds of distractions all around me, but I am going to dive deep into the things that actually grow a relationship with the Father. I'm not gonna settle for just religious experiences and religious kind of good works that, that I have to do. I'm not gonna settle for just being a good person. I want to actually know God in my life. I want to grow in a relationship with him because that 
That is the vision, the direction, the purpose of my life is to know him. Let's pray together. And so, Father, we, first of all, need to just confess that for some of us, this message to the Ephesians, it sounds familiar. Our hearts have grown cold. We haven't pressed into a relationship with you. We've ignored this. We've neglected this. We do good things. We go to church. We do right things. We're not, we're not immoral. We're not drowning in sin. We don't have all these secrets or addictions or things like that. But, but Lord, we, we know in our own hearts that we're really living far from you. And so today, would you awake us up and help us again to hear this message that you speak to the Ephesians, this message, this message of our eternal calling that is a relationship with you. The purpose, the direction, the vision, the reason for our lives is that we would know you, the creator of all things, the one who's gonna make all things new. And so God, today, would you forgive us for the ways that we neglect you And would you stir something inside of us again that we might be on fire to be excited about what you are doing in our lives. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Friends, we're so glad you joined us in worship today. We hope you were encouraged. We hope you were challenged. We hope you took a step forward in your faith. If this is so, we'd encourage you to take a moment, share this with those around you. Who who else needs to be encouraged in your life through what you've heard and encountered today? A big thank you goes out to our production team, to Alec and Taylor, folks behind the scenes. Also, we'd like to thank all those who were in front of the camera, to Stephanie and to our worship team, to Spencer, to Kenny for that good word of witness. And finally, I'd like to say, happy fall, y'all. Look forward to seeing worship soon. Bye-bye. I don't know. That's goofy. Cut that. Like a